0: You're listening to Berlin Psychoanalytic Podcast. This episode is part of the series on mentalization. 1. Freud's Theory of Thinking with Dr. Nicolas Lorenzini. We all are thinking all the time. Uh, We're imagining things, we're feeling things. Uh, It seems like our mind was this uh, film going through our mental eye in which something is happening all the time. So we kind of have that experience a little bit, this subjective experience of having a mind, of being thinking on the time. Even if we try to leave our minds in silence, that is not gonna work. And we do have the feeling, we all do. Uh, It's quite straightforward. Uh, It's quite easy to realize that we're doing that, but we don't really question why that happens. Why is it like this? Why our minds have to be working all the time? And when did I realize that I actually had one of those, one mind inside my, somewhere here it feels to be. It's a, an important part of psychoanalytic theory. Besides the way of treatment of people and that came up with Freud's ideas, it's also the way of imagining or theorizing how do we start thinking. Did we ever start with this? Did we? Were we born just thinking and imagining things, feeling things? Who was feeling that? Is the baby already knows that they are themselves, that they have a mind, that the other people maybe have a mind like theirs? So it's a a very important thing in Freud's theory and it will continue to be a very important thing until now to try and theorize, to try and discover how how it is that we start thinking, and what things can go wrong with that process, because if there are some things that go wrong during the development of the capacity of thinking, wouldn't we, wouldn't we be encountering patients that will have exactly that problem? What would be the treatment behind that? So it is important also to know how Freud imagined this process. Um, and I say imagine because at that point Infant observation was the most empirical thing we could, uh, he he could put his hands on. Empirical work in babies wasn't born in psychoanalysis until after Freud's death. In 1911, uh, Freud wrote an essay called The Two Principles of Mental Functioning in which he tries to explain why we start thinking and how does that happen. If we remember, for Freud, we are a very effective machine of satisfaction, so as soon as we have a need, being it from our body or from an idea, we try to satisfy that, and that wouldn't be different, that would be the only thing we could say that babies are born with, the capacity of trying to satisfy their own needs. What happens then? Imagine a baby, a newborn, they do have needs, they feel hunger, they feel thirst, cold, etc. And what happens with them? We are born super early in our development, so we depend of the external world in order to satisfy those needs and normally of another person to satisfy those needs. What happens when a baby feels something? They normally give a signal, this is quite automatic, and someone else is gonna come and satisfy that need, hopefully. So imagine a baby, imagine a newborn they have needs physical needs um, hunger cold etc etc and they will need the real world in order to satisfy those needs after being born of course in this case milk or someone who wraps me up in clothes so i'm not cold anymore etc but at the beginning according to freud's theory the only thing we have is a bodily sensation then comes up and very automatically we give a signal as humans could be a cry normally and then someone would come something would happen in the external world that will satisfy that need ideally what will happen then it would be the baby would create for the first time a memory trace a memory trace that has to do with the experience of need and the way that that need was satisfied. That memory trace is gonna be the base for all thinking. What happens when the baby feels hunger again and he already had some experiences of satisfaction, let's say milk, those memory traits that have to do only with sensations, let's be really clear that there is no language yet or anything like this. It's just the feeling of certain displeasure in, in the belly, for example, that we could now we call hunger. And then the warmth, the flavor, the smell, the look of the mum, and everything that has to do with this milk that actually stopped this displeasure. That constitutes this first memory trace. What will happen from then on? If the baby is hunger again, is hungry again, they will try and remember that experience in a way that is very immediate, in a way that Freud would call an hallucination. That means the baby will just hallucinate that this feeling is being satisfied by this other sensation that already felt. But, and this could be explaining, for example, why pacifiers are effective for a while in babies. So you make them hallucinate that they are suckling, let's say. But It's obvious that that doesn't work for very long because the hunger is still there and Something has to happen. I cannot really discharge the tension that a desire, a wish, a need gives me without the real world. So I can hallucinate for a bit and that's what we do normally when we dream as well According to Freud, we have a wish, but we don't want to wake up So we hallucinate that the wish is being fulfilled Because it doesn't work There is something else the baby needs to do, starting to realize that the world outside first of all exists and second that it responds to certain laws and one of the most important laws is that when I have a need, satisfaction is not warranted, it's not automatic, it's not going to happen all the time immediately, as soon as I'm I'm hungry, uh, the breast is going to come and feed me. That never happens. Obviously, it happens more or less like that. In an ideal circumstance, a mom would come timely and feed the baby, but that doesn't necessarily happen all the time. And also, there is always a little bit of time between feeling this, giving the signal, mom understanding the signal, and mom satisfying the wish. So we start to put in some time between having a need and getting a fulfillment. And that is not only time, but in the mind, it would actually come up with the development of certain things like, for example, memory, attention, organiza- organization of the perceptions, and slowly language. What happens then? There is a system that starts being formed in everyone's mind that Freud will call the reality principle, meaning the way that I have to control this first pleasure principle this this automatic tendency to just fulfill needs but actually to put the reality back in play and going like okay in reality this is not going to work it's not going to be that i feel hunger and immediately something comes and feeds me it's going to be more like i have to do certain things in order to get this milk and there's going to be a certain time there between i feel i give the signal and the time comes This starts being more and more and more complicated with every need that comes and every time um, it is fulfilled or it is not. Slowly we start putting language thinking, some time between need and fulfillment that it's gonna help us managing in the real world in order to get the same satisfaction that with the other system, the primary primitive pleasure principle, we would get just by hallucinating. So hallucination doesn't work but it's the first uh, resort we have. But then when reality kicks in and we start allowing it in, we start realizing that in order to get our needs fulfilled we do need reality and that we do need to find a way in order to first delay our satisfaction a little bit, second trying to understand how the world works in order for us to end up fulfilling these needs. Everything. In the end, it ends up being the same objective. So, I want to be fulfilled, but for fulfillment to work in reality, I need a second system. And that second system is called the reality principle. In the end, what we want is to equate that first memory trace of hunger and then satisfaction with the real world. We want to make them match. Because the first experience of satisfaction, the one we use to hallucinate, it's not enough, so I need to find something in the real world to match to that first perception. That's why not only Freud, but many psychoanalysts have insisted after Freud in that every time you find an object of satisfaction, it's actually re-finding an object of satisfaction because you're just trying to find in the real world something that will fairly look like that first memory trace of total satisfaction. So we have automatic pleasure principle satisfaction, hallucination, and then we have thinking. We have a space of time, let's say, in between feeling a need, knowing the external world and knowing what to do in order for that need to become real and to be fulfilled in the real world. What Freud talks about here, that has to do with the emerging of thinking, considers the real world as an important thing. However, if you can see everything I've said so far is like what's happening in the mind of the baby and what do we think is happening in the mind of the baby and how um, thinking develops in the mind of a baby. What we have seen only summarily is the fact that the real world exists and the real world is important in order to satisfy yourself, but we haven't yet considered, and Freud didn't very much. Consider that the real world is made of humans and that humans also feel needs, these other humans. Let's say the mom, who is this object of satisfaction, also has desires that could be satisfied somewhere else, not only with the baby. The mom also has needs, also has a mind. And why? Why would we think about that? Because The better you think about that, the better you can then manipulate the real world, the mom, in order for her to fulfill your needs. So you need to start thinking about what is in the other's head, what is in the other's mind. And that will bring together the fact that you start thinking what is in your mind, because it's different to think about the fulfillment of a need, and to think about yourself thinking of the fulfillment of a need. I explain this a little bit because it might be a bit recursive. It's the fact that we not only think all the time, we also know that we're thinking all the time. And that is a different gain in development. Most of the people who came after Freud, for example Melanie Klein, were thinking still in terms of what happens inside the mind of a baby. And then you get another current of post-Freudians, which think what is important in the development of of a baby is what the mom and the environment do for this baby, how do they scaffold their development and those tendencies would be a bit like fighting for a while, like big fights in the the decades of the 40s for example, Uh, but they go integrated and now contemporary psychoanalysis actually cannot think of the development of anyone's mind if they don't think of what happens with the people around and with in the way that each one of our patients actually relates to other people and one of these other people might be the analyst. Being transference a very important, even though it was an idea that Freud invented, is now very very much more important and there are some therapies that are actually they. The only thing they do, from a psychoanalytic perpe- perspective, is to um, analyze the relationships we have with other people. This because you gain the... in development you get the possibility of fulfilling your needs by hallucination first, by manipulating the real world second, by understanding uh, the mind of that person who is going to satisfy me third, and then generalizing that to the rest of the world and to oneself. Those theories are contemporary and we're gonna see them in a further video. Thank you for listening. For more content, subscribe to our podcast or find us on our YouTube channel. Psychoanalysis should be free.